back again, guys. I'm here with the lovely Emma Randall and Mungo Mackay, some wonderful actors that are quite infamous for the movie The Undead. So, top billing. That's been going for how long now, that film, since you released, that was released? Well, we shot that in 2001, and now uh, I think it was released 2003, actually. Yeah. So, well, here, yeah, yep. 17 years. Wow, that's time fly. <laughs> it sure does. Doesn't it? Yep. But uh, you are the uh, horror royalty, as some of my friends say. But you've also both had great careers, done a lot of extra works, done featured extra parts, roles yourselves as actors and actresses. Something like that. So how did, for each of you, we'll start with you, Emma, how did your journey begin? How did you decide to get into the acting world? Oh, it just bit me like a bug, really, as they say. When I was a teenager, I think, I probably got interested in it. School, as many people do, and just sought training when I was uh, just out of school, university, and then the Actors' Workshop, which is where uh, we both spent a lot of time at the Actors' Workshop. Sure. Um, and actually, that was it was through the Actors Workshop that Undead came about, um, the casting for that. So, yeah, so just lots of training and yeah. practice, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So I noticed when I was looking at both of your IMDb files that you did a Bachelor of Arts yep. and you were looking in model. Yeah, I did. I built, um, well, I did a Bachelor of Arts in drama, but I specialised in set design. So I started out my career, <clears throat> excuse me, building um, scale models and miniatures for animation, so stop motion animation. Yeah, and I spent about three years doing that. Yeah, so I did, I guess I did get into it that way, and, and then from that started doing film and TV stuff, that was model making, um, and then I wanted to do more acting training, um, and that's, that's when Mungo and I met and we... Yeah, you missed a bit where you did some running. Some running? Yeah. And what... Would you run for that? Um, what was it, Mister Nice Guy or Mister Reliable? That's oh, it, that, yeah. yeah, work experience, work experience. Oh, it was work experience. Long time ago. That was there there. There's a little bit extra for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so you decided you that wasn't really your thing anymore. Yeah. More the acting side. Do you know what? I didn't feel like I had an innate talent for it. I kind of liked to do it, but I didn't feel like I, it was my thing. I mean, it was fun, but it wasn't. So I was still drawn to the acting um, and I felt like that was more something that I, uh, it enabled me to feel that I'd found something that, you loved, that I really yeah. loved and that yeah. I could connect with. Yeah. 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 Well, it's got to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Because, uh, and for you too, Mungo, so how did you begin in this illustrious career? Um, hmm, yeah, okay, well, like Emma said, drama in high school to start off with. Uh, then uh, did work experience in a cinema, uh, okay. uh, projection work experience, and uh, that was in grade uh, 11, and I got a part-time job, and then I was offered a full-time job as soon as I finished high school. So, you know, the day I finished high school, that afternoon, I had my first night shift as a full-time employee as an assistant projectionist at Greater Union Cinema oh. in the city. Yeah, so, I mean, my, my interest, I guess, 
like anyone's interest is sparked early on when they're kids, you know, when they watch movies and, you know, they, they role play all the heroes and all that type of stuff. But anyway, um, I, did, I did my uh, assistant projectioning for a couple of years and uh, automation was just starting to come in because when I started, I mean, they'd made the transition from carbon arts to um, xenon lamps in the cinemas. Um, and but at the George Cinema, they still had a carbon art slide projector. That's how antiquated the, the system was in that particular like cinema. But they were starting to bring in platter systems. Um, therefore, you know, you didn't need one projectionist per projection box. You could have one projectionist running a whole complex. Yeah. Wow. with automated platter systems so you didn't have to do any changeovers or because when I started there was still the changeover process you would have a yeah. 6,000 foot spool oh. um, with one half of the movie and you would have another 6,000 foot spool with the other half so you would have to watch for the cues to come up I mean sure. if anyone's familiar with the way they used to make movies that they had those um, those little circles up in the top right hand corner oh, okay. of the screen yeah. well the first circle is a start motor cue that's your start motor cue. So that's when you start the projector up. The second cue is your changeover cue. Yeah. And you've only got just over a second to see that and then change over. So there's... So you know, don't blink. The, so that the picture overlaps. <laughs> yeah, you're, I'm actually learning not to blink from an early age probably was right there because you didn't want to blink, you, otherwise you'd miss it. Yeah. Yeah, but anyway, um, <clears throat> going into this automated system... So because I was the last one to be put on full time, I was going to be the first one to be sacked or fired, you know, um, because they were going to reduce the number of projectionists. Mm. And uh, it just so happened at the same time, there was a boutique cinema opening up on Edward Street called the Metro Cinema. And one of the projectionists said, look, your time here is not going to be here much longer. Why don't you go and apply for the job as the chief projectionist? And I said to him, what are you kidding me? I've only been here two years. I haven't even really finished my training. Yeah. And he said, well, you're not going to have a job. So why don't you go try? And anyway, I went for the job interview. And another sort of thing that kind of worked out was that they never asked me how old I was. I just went in there and I said, you know, this is my experience. I seem quite mature, I guess. And they said, all right, well, we'll hire you. You've got the job as the chief projectionist. We'll put you on probation for six months. And uh, we'll see how it goes. And anyway, my probation period finished and they were really happy. The, the, the owners flew up from Sydney and they said, we're really happy with you. Congratulations, you've got the job as a chief projectionist. And I said, you're not bad for a 19-year-old. And they went, what? <laughs> what? You're 19? Wow. I said, yeah. And they, they laughed. They said, we would never have hired you if we knew you were that young. But you got the job anyway. So, yeah, yeah. So, I, I kept the job and, um, you know, being on my boutique cinema and running on such a tight budget, kept the place or the projection box running with rubber bands and sticky tape, Gosh, so to that speak, was what, metaphorically speaking. Ago. 30 years ago. Yeah. Wow. If you are 19. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that was, that's true. Three yeah, decades ago. Three decades ago. Yeah, that's so that's where it all began, actually. Yeah, wow. but um, anyway... Uh, it might have been a few years down the track um, and we did a lot of opening nights and we had one particular opening night and it was for a movie called Waiting and um, it, it had um, a veteran a veteran actor in it and uh, by the name of Ray Barrett. I don't know if oh, you've yes. heard yeah. of Ray Barrett. Yeah, yeah. yeah. well, he's, he's a Queensland veteran actor and 
he was in this movie and being in the near vicinity, him and his wife came to this opening night. Um, and his, his wife just happened to be his agent as well. Um, and um, I got into a conversation with her after the movie and I said, you know, I've always been interested in being on the screen rather than just projecting it because I come to realize that <laughs> the cinema industry, even though it's very important, it's like the, can I say this, the, the ass end of the entertainment industry. We poop out the final product. Yeah. I mean, there, there is some type of artistic flair that you can put the thing sometimes you know the curtains and stuff like that <laughs> not that you really see that these days because it's no, become so fast food yeah. you know we get them in get them out get them in there's no curtains no presentation not like the good old yeah. days where there's actually it was a special event to go yes. to see a movie but and anyway um with during this conversation she said um well why don't you get yourself an agent and um give it a try and took her words and I, I don't know how long it was after that but I rang up an agency and I said like I'm interested uh, would you like to represent me and they said yep sure and uh, kind of started from there and my first job um, was my first professional job was on a movie called Fortress with Christopher Lambert oh. you know and, and at that time down at uh, the Warner Brothers studio um I'm not even sure if it was called that back then, but uh, it was the biggest budgeted film that was being shot in Australia yeah. um, at that time. And it was magnificent. You know, they had a three-story high set in the in Soundstage 6. You know, the one that got burnt down, you know, oh. um, you know uh, during House, you remember House of House Wax? Of wax. Oh. House of oh. Wax. So they had, wow. they, they had the soundstage full of wax and accidentally oh, set no. it on fire. So yeah, that, that soundstage burnt down, but they rebuilt it. But anyway, um, yeah, three stories high. Everything was practical. And it was, it was just fantastic. But what really, so that was my first job. And what really sold me, because it was a, it was American-Australian co-production, yeah. but what really sold me was the food. <laughs> the yes. catering is just, oh, oh my goodness. So, yeah. It is really, really good. The Americans know how to, to lay it on when it comes to, I mean, if you go by the principle that an army marches on its stomach, mm. you know, you got to keep the people fed and keep them happy. Yes. And yeah. when you treat them like that, they just work so much harder and yes. so much better because, yeah. you know, in a way, it's 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 they feel appreciated. Yeah, that's right. And there's reciprocation yeah. that happens in the process of that. So, Great like, productivity. So yeah. look, whenever the whenever the Yanks are over here for on a job, it's always great to get on it because they know how to treat you. Yeah. You know, uh, um, as opposed to some other countries that I've worked, <laughs> that I've worked with. Yeah, there's another country that I've worked. You know, they're very regimented and strict and uh, it wasn't that pleasant, but it was still an interesting experience. That was actually my the first time I'd ever got a bit part in a movie. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I won't, I, you know what? I can't, I can't, uh, better not mention it. I won't mention it. <laughs> and you know why? I can't, I, I can't remember the name I can't of it. Remember. <laughs> <laughs> it was my, oh, it was my first ever bit part. But, I mean, at that time, like, because, you know, agents, you change them every now and then, you know, after a few years. But I, I was represented by another agent. And I don't, have you heard of John Domit? Yes, I John have. Domit. Um, yeah. He was in the Young Doctors, I think, that television, oh, yes. Australian television show. That yeah. Was, yeah, yeah. Well, I was represented by him. And I always remember him saying, Congratulations, you're on your way, you know, with my first ever bit part. It was a one liner. Yeah. Yeah, and it but got, it's a bit hard. But it, but it got taken away from me on the set. Oh, <laughs> they, gave, no. they they gave it to a stunt man because my the line what 
I had to say how much. And it was a proposition to this, you know, attractive woman that comes yeah. into this pool play. I was like, oh, I think I was like pool player number one or number two. Um, and I, I have to go up to her and say, how, hey, how much? In a drunken stupor, so to speak. But anyway, they finished up, they gave it to a stuntman because... She uh, him. Well, no, the, the, the woman's friend decked him, rolled him over the yeah. pool table and stuff oh, like okay. that. So yeah. I guess, you know, for... <laughs> insurance reasons, words. well, yes. they, they couldn't actually use just you know. A, well, I'm uh, glad he was uh, dealt with. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, but, but besides that, I mean, uh, that was my first ever bit part in saying something. But what you were saying earlier on is that, um, yeah, I, I did a lot of extra work to start off with a lot of extra work and yeah. that was so much fun, just the experiences yeah. that I had on that because that was back in the days when, um. Uh, television shows like Mission Impossible were being shot here. Yeah. Um, uh, Mission Impossible, there was uh, Time Tracks as well. Uh, there was a bunch of CBS Movie of the Week. You know, they come out and they, they, it's funny, you know, they, when you hear Movie of the Week, it's like, oh, how, are they gonna, how fast are they going to shoot this? But, no, it doesn't work like that. No, but, it's you know, presented once a week. Yeah, yeah. So did, did a, a ton of extra work and it is a lot of fun. And if anyone ever, ever wants to start to get into it, that's yeah. what I would recommend that you do to start off with is yeah. just do some extra work. Get on set and get some fly time that way because, you know, it's um, you get to learn a lot of things if you just shut your mouth and you watch yes. and you observe. Yeah, yeah, and the biggest thing about showing him out too on set is that yeah, there's this fantastic way that you can get rid of um, naughty extras on yes. set. You kill them. Yeah. You kill them, <laughs> and once they're dead, it's like we can't use you anymore. So off you go. Yeah. I was actually on a movie where I was. Um, it was called Gargantuan. It was like a Godzilla, oh, yeah. yep. like another one of these. I wouldn't say it's a ripoff, but it's like a sci-fi type monster, monster, monster thing. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, being a whole bunch of Marines, like, you know, all these extras dressed up as Marines, the testosterone, etc. you get a few wankers. And uh, those people were dealt with, um, you know, it was just like, it was pretty much, all right, we need someone to die here, okay. Oh, you, okay, you over there, you come over here and we'll get you to die. And that's how they would politely get you off set. Yeah. 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 But, you know, the whole thing about extra work as well is that if you do it, you, if you have an opportunity to wear a face covering, do it. Wear a hat, do it, you know, because the whole thing about being an extra is not about being seen. You don't, you, I don't think you, I've never heard of it, maybe it's happened, but being an extra on set is not about being noticed. Mm. It's, it's about just being in the background and blending in. You're part of yes. the universe that, yes. you, and so if you start drawing attention away, yeah, and um, some of these people, <laughs> There's, there's ways of, of dealing with Learn them. The hard yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. They look, well, I mean, it's the nice way anyway. So. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, but, but when it comes to wearing a face mask, the longevity is that you might be asked to come back tomorrow. Because yeah. once you're dead or once you're being used or featured, <laughs> that's it. That's you can't it. be used again. Yeah. So if you wear a face covering, hey, we'll get you back tomorrow. So you get an extra day's work. Yeah. You know, an extra day being that's on correct. set. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, but once you're dead, so presumably you're shooting uh, your own film movies that are. Well, look at me. You, you, am, I, am, I in, am I in romantic comedies? <laughs> Most of the stuff I've been in, people die horribly. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. It's true, as in the Undead and Daybreakers mm. that you were in with mm. Ethan Hawke, and you were a projectionist. I was. Well. Yes, that's how we met. Actually, <laughs> yeah. that is the story of our meeting. Was ah. it? Uh, 
and romantically yes. trained me to be a projectionist. He did, so that's how we met. And then Undead actually screened at the cinema where we met. I trained her well. Trained me well. Yes. Yeah, because she took over my job. I got yeah. fired. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, we will talk about that. It's no, we're talking about undead screen there. Oh yeah, that, well, yeah, okay, yeah, sure, but I mean, yeah. this is another fun. Because that was story, the only place it? in Brisbane where it screened. Well, was the but speaking where we of met, you, which was interesting. Well, if we're talking about projectionists, so anyway, mm. you know, yeah, she took my job. She took your job. Yeah, she took over. You well, she took over for me. Yeah, yeah. I had nothing to do with your departure from that. Yes, but just segueing back to the whole undead. Thing. It was quite yeah. novel, actually, yeah. to work at a cinema, yeah. still, you know, be acting in a movie and then actually show that movie yeah. at the cinema you worked at. Yes. And I had, I yeah. used to come out and sell candy bar and what have you as well, and I had a few people say, weren't you just... Yeah. <laughs> did I just see a yeah. Yeah. I did, I did have that happen. Can you sign my candy bar? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's it was great. good, though, because you got to... You know, literally, I could hear the audience's reactions and you know, laughing in the right bits, and yeah, it's yeah. quite a fun experience because you don't often get that immediate feedback when you do film as opposed to theatre. You know, you've got, you do a piece of theatre and you have a live audience to respond, yeah. um, but film's very different, so well, it was unusual to be able to hear an audience actually react to it. It was kind of fun, yeah, that's great. Mm. And you actually trained how to use a gun but you didn't actually yeah we we, we, all, we all had to do gun training for undead weapons training mm-hmm. with um old bob parsons rest in peace may you rest in peace um yeah but i didn't actually have to fire my gun which was the irony of it i guess he was quite, <laughs> quite a fearful character <laughs> yeah <laughs> you to bandy it about a bit but didn't actually fire yeah but all those skills you develop for other types absolutely and absolutely. it's great knowledge yeah i've had that little bit of training and yeah <laughs> Yeah. Any extra training you can do, I think, for any role is always beneficial. You know, it's, mm-hmm. I, I love just learning new things, and you know, I love that challenge, yeah. learning a new skill for different parts, and just even understanding the lingo, like understanding what the sides are, yep, and being able to read a script, yep. and things like that. Being yeah. able to read, <laughs> yes, yeah. a helpful skill. Yes, yeah. yes. <clears throat> And taking instruction from the director. Yeah. Like yesterday when we did that thing very quickly and you talked very fast and you went, go! And I'm thinking, he's on speaker. Is he talking to Emma? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you mean go now? Okay. (laughs) So, okay, lesson number one. So, because Mungo and Emma are wonderful teachers as well. And we're actually in their studio today. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, So, it's Mungo's coaching so you do one-on-one and you do some no I must admit I don't do a lot of teaching anymore since we okay. had our children I've been a little bit of oh, a yes. stay-at-home mum I do a little bit of stuff here and there um but but Mungo's running his business yes. through the studio Mungo's private coaching for actors should you need any yes in coaching no I saw a very nice testimonial from Glenn Hughes the Irish actor that's been in a few things and uh, he came through with you at some point and learnt a lot from you. Yeah, Glenn, Glenn Keogh. Glenn Keogh. Yeah. Keogh, yeah. sorry. Keogh, yep. Yeah. Yep. Where am I thinking? Glenn. Oh, sorry. That was, sorry. Yeah, yeah Glenn was Glenn one of Keogh. my students many, many years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So. Yeah. And now he's over in the States he's, doing stuff. Yeah, he's based yeah. in LA now, getting lots of work. Yes. 
Yeah, that's where it's at. But I mean, that that guy had a game plan from days off. So yeah. um, he, his intention is to always go there, and he was yeah. prepared. He, to go there. Well. he just didn't go. Oh, I'm an actor. Yeah. I'm an actor, and I'm going to go over there, and you know, no, he trained up. Yeah, yeah, he was a pretty good student too. Yeah. But we had a lot of fun in that class because um, it turned out there was only sorry, it turned out there was only uh, four guys in that particular class. Yeah, so that was um, that was. Better. That was at the actors' workshop because we both taught for the actors' workshop. Um, that went for a long. Yeah, time. it was twenty. Yeah, twenty-four years, twenty-three years. Yeah. Yeah, which yeah. was a wonderful place. We met lots of wonderful people there, and that's where we both taught for a long time. But. So what sort of things are you teaching actors? Like method acting, characters, just... How to do stuff. How to do <laughs> stuff. How yeah. to do stuff specific to a camera. Okay. Specific yeah. for camera work, which is quite... Um, I mean, it's all acting, but it's quite different, isn't it? For, yeah. I think when you mention method, uh, it's interesting. I think that um, method can be misconstrued by a lot of people, how it seems to be that i I got, I got to act in the method is to... Self-flagellate myself, whip myself. I gotta lock myself in the boot of a trunk, you know, of a car, you know, just to feel what it's like, you know, for that five-second shot. Um, I think sort of method is process. It's the process of which you execute yeah, your, your game plan. Yeah. And there are a lot of different methods, but I, I think you know, if you can just define it that way, it would make it a lot more easier to, um, I guess, digest in the long run for. A lot of these new actors mm. that misinterpret that they think they have to flog themselves, especially for film. And you know, you can if you want to, <clears throat> if that's how you find your own self therapy or self help. You know, you can go right ahead, flog <laughs> yourself as much as you want. But ultimately, what you're doing is just you're recreating a facsimile of real life. It's not real. Mm. Yeah. So um, therefore, justifiably, you don't have to self torture yourself no. um, to be able to recreate or re-emulate what is real yeah i mean there's this thing called eustress and distress you know distress is when the, the, the ship is sinking isn't it and you think you're going to die but eustress is when you're on the roller coaster and you know there feels like there's danger but it's not really yeah and i think that you know if you can relate that to um method acting um there's no need to put yourself in any type of distress when it comes to creating a character, your, your method should just be the process of creating that character, a step-by-step -step process. Yeah, yeah. Um, and therefore, at the end of that, the evolution of that um, development, you have the character. Mm, yes. Yeah, rather than, you know, trying to experience in your own real life, in your own dimensional reality, something that is not going to be real anyway. It's mm. going to be transferred into a flat two-dimensional screen. I think it's a fine line mm. between empathy which is an innate quality an actor needs to have and uh, actually having to draw on your own experiences to achieve an emotional outcome for a character. You shouldn't have to do that. You should, it, it's fiction. You, know, you should be able to create their, their life. Yes. Um, and you can empathise with that, but you shouldn't have to be drawing directly on <clears throat> your, own, um, your own wounds, shall we say. Um, it's cheating. Yeah, well, that's you, isn't it? It's not the character, so yeah, it's not a, it's that's not right. But I suppose because no person's experience is anyone the same. Yeah, we we can only that's right. We can't that's right. experience that yeah. moment and what that perspective and yeah interpretation is to them. Yeah.
But is it harder, do you think, for actually, like, people that have taken on, on, you know, quite famous characters yeah. um, to have their biography done? Say, you know, Ray Charles yeah. or uh, recently Princess Diana and Yeah, Charles I think there's a definite um, responsibility that the actor has to, when they're playing someone, a real person. Mm. And, of course, you have to do all the research. Yes. But any, any roles involves research. Yes whether it's a fictitious role or someone, a, a historic, you know, life. If there's more pressure if it's a real person. Absolutely, especially if they're still alive or if their family are, you know. <laughs> especially if you're anal retentive in, in detail. <laughs> yeah. you know, if you're an actor that needs that detail, yeah, well, well, then you, probably. But, I mean, you look, have a any, responsibility. It's, that's kind of how I see acting is that you, you are a vessel for the life, to present the life of someone else. So you have a responsibility to present that life as any character. as you can, which is any character. Any yeah. character you play, because yeah. no matter yeah. what you play, it's probably already happened. Yes. You know, it's probably already been done. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, to do that without, without judgment either. You know, you That's right, things. yeah. You have to play it with sincerity and yeah. you have to honour the characters, no matter how nasty they are. Yeah. Yeah, there has to be truth in, in what you play. So yeah. you can't hold back. So what are your favourite roles? Do you like playing villains or would you like to try something differently? Because you do quite a bit of comedy in <laughs> and you're usually the... Tough guys, I'm a little bit tough guys. Is yeah. there anything you, either of you would like to? I love playing villains. I find villains very fun because yeah. often they are, depending on the, you know, the gig, they're yeah. often very broadly drawn, and you do have a bit of liberty to, you know, have a bit of fun with them. Yes. Um. So I do like that, and I like playing a variety of people too. I'm not, yes. I'm not very interested in playing the same kind of person over and over yeah. again. Like, yeah, it's not my bag. But. Give me comedy or give me death. Yeah, comedy. <laughs> yeah, uh, the world's too serious. Way <laughs> yes. too far, too far serious. I mean, just something that's, you know, entertaining. It is or, entertaining. Because I mean, no matter what it is, I mean, especially when you're on set, you're still learning things. It's not as if you're just having fun. Mm. Yeah, but yes, of course. That, that's, yeah. that's, I mean, sort of the, the honour and the privilege of being on a, on a film set is that, yeah, it is. It, it can be a lot of fun. And usually, for most of the time, it's the comedies. No, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I can't, I don't interject. Uh, yes, I can. <laughs> I was gonna say, even doing drama though has great reward, and I think it is, yeah, it, is it is fun. Of course. Um, yeah, it might be harrowing or dramatic while the cameras are rolling, but it's still great when it works too, and you know yes. that it's working. And and even though it might be something kind of heavy that you're dealing, subject matter that you're dealing with, it's still. Wonderful well, when you yeah. know it's kind of you're getting what they what you need to tell the story. And the counterbalance yeah. to that as well is, I mean, look, when you see the finished product, you see a movie that, that can be serious, it can be yeah. real sort of gutsy in, in that regard. But um, the, 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 the counterbalance on set usually is one of humour. I mean, if, if something is, is serious from my own experiences, you, you, you do something really serious, but after cut is called, Someone might, you know, drop a fart, or, you know, and everyone will laugh. That's right. But, but there, yeah. there always seems to be some type of counterbalance that's involved whenever you do something serious. But yes. I mean, when it comes to, you know, just maybe just entertaining people, getting people to like release their minds, yeah. you know, from their, from their everyday life. life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and maybe tell a story and maybe sort of like have some sort of interesting anecdote or like moral of the of the tale, so to speak, at the end so you can learn from it. That's that's yeah, great. That is great. Yeah. It's good yeah. storytelling. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So but as long as it's funny. Yeah. 
Yes. yes. <laughs> was I it love serious? And comedy. Yeah. 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 And but even the most serious thing, often you can find elements that are comic in it, in that. Yes. And that gives it levity as well. Makes it a bit more interesting too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, are there any actors that you admire that yourselves? My favourite actor is Gary Oldman, okay. and, and probably purely because of his ability to. He's, he has a large range and plays lots of different types of people, and I really admire his ability to do that and his ability with accents and things. Mm. Brian Cranston, Meryl Streep, how many more names yes. can I drop? I love them. <laughs> I love actors who are absent of vanity, I think, who just mm. like to get into it and not and play people who are a bit rough around the edges. Mm. Yeah. yeah, keep it real. Yeah, Because yeah. we all have those moments, and for you, Keeping it real. Well, I mean, uh, well, what time period are we talking about here? Because, uh, <laughs> well, you know, who influenced you, like, to anyone you admired as you got into this film? Well, I mean, look, going back to my earlier childhood days, yeah. John Wayne, yeah. Steve McQueen, Charles Bronson, Charlie Bronson, um, you know, any of those sort of older... I think oh, Harrison Ford too was very influential. He was in well, he came in right? later on. Yeah. Later on, I think Harrison Ford. There was there's an ease to which um, yeah. he projects himself as his characters, even though I guess um, they are a little similar in a way. It's sort of, but that's the draw card. It's his charisma. Mm. You know, it's what do you call it? His chutzpah, yeah. chutzpah, or you know, he's, <laughs> there's something about him that you can yeah. just keep watching. It's like, is it? Oh, this movie, yeah. movie got Harrison Ford in it? Absolutely, yeah. we gotta watch it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, even though, how old is he now? Well, he's what? Kicking, kicking 100 years old now? Is this, uh, let's go watch him. <laughs> we didn't really mean, we know that you're not. Sorry, you're a color star. Oh, he's not? I thought he was. Well. You didn't get a letter from the Queen, though. Uh, yeah, it's not but, quite yet. But like, it varies in time. I mean, I guess the interesting thing about um, oh. inspirational actors is that it's. I mean, to me, it seems like a lot of actors, um, even though they continuously act, they have a shelf life almost of, say, yeah. maybe a decade and a half yeah. before they fall out of the, the limelight and they sort yes. of move into the background and then someone else gets pushed forward. Yes. Um, I, I think sort of the, the whole actor-producer thing has kept a lot of actors in, in work. work. Mm-hmm. So if you're an actor and you can produce this, the stuff that you're working on, well, well of course... You know, you're going to employ yourself as the actor as well. So, yes. I mean, there, there's a lot of that um, that you can see. Uh, s- someone like, um, oh, well, no, well, lots of people do. Oh, lots of people, people have, have yeah. their own production companies established yeah. so purely yeah. for that. So they're fielding scripts that they can yeah. produce and hopefully be in. You know, well, that uh, makes sense. Uh, Dirty Harry, what's his? Uh, Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Mm. He's started his own. Mm. So, mm. Paso, I think it's great. Yeah. These films are fantastic. Yes. Well. Yeah. And he's such a cool dude. And worked with wonderful actors. And yeah. I suppose if you're such a great actor, you must inspire and learn from, you know, people that are working with you. Yeah. You just get that response. Yeah. And it makes them step their game yeah. up, I would imagine. Yeah. So. I like his style too. Obviously, I don't know the man, but what I've read is that he's very relaxed on set. Clint Eastwood mm. is in very, you know, one or two takes maybe. It and the actors, there's not a big fanfare, he's not a big <clears throat> mega horn yeller of a director, he's yeah, very yeah. quiet and just gets what he needs and moves on, which is nice because it doesn't stress everybody out. You know, yes. I should imagine his sets are very pleasant to be on, 
you know, I don't think we'll see my sort of present environment. Well, he'd have other, other whip crackers. He'd have, you know, the AD. Yeah, but I think if you read the they're not, they're not, I yeah. think he's quite known for running un, under budget too. He's pretty good at pulling it in, you know, yeah. and saving a bit of money, which is great. Yeah. Well, he's he able knows. to keep making films. Yeah. Without, he knows yeah. how it works. So yeah. I mean, he's had every aspect of it now yeah. too, so. Yeah. Oh. <clears throat> so for, um, have you either of you written things yourself, or you've directed yourself a bit, Mungo, and you've actually produced? But yeah. We'll come back to that. Yeah. yeah. Um, short films and things, or uh, oh, lots of bits and pieces over the years. Well, I guess, yeah. Um, <coughs> excuse me. I, I think when it comes to writing stuff, I used to teach basic writing structure at the Actors mm-hmm. Workshop, and um, part of the two-year course, two-year full-time course, was. Um, the last 10 weeks was totally dedicated to uh, writing and finally uh, in the the last eight hours of class for the two years we would shoot a short film so I've had my hands a lot in developing scripts heaps heaps and heaps sort of helping the students Um, but Emmy's written some stuff so is there any movie you would love to rewrite the end of or would have gone a different direction that comes to mind when you've actually been like a punter watching the film? <laughs> no, not really. I don't, I'm not for, I mean, look, once it's finished, it should be, don't screw around with it. <laughs> yeah. Stop okay. making, you know, the director's cut or the redux <laughs> or the, you know, the third thing. Yeah, yeah, addition of it. Stop yeah. adding things to it. Yeah, how about making something <clears> new? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, true. I mean, once once, it's, once it's done, idea. it's done. Um, yeah. But yeah. look, if you could turn back time and change anything, it would probably be like maybe the last few Star Wars movies. Okay. <laughs> That's quite a few opinions. <laughs> well, I, I grew up with Star Wars. Yes. And yes, yes, I know. Nothing. Yeah, I just would have. I would have changed. It's I'd not change just the ending, though. I think there'd be some structural changes in it. Yes, so. probably. Yeah. But I mean, look, anyway. that's that's just me and what I've grown up with it. And yeah. just to see the evolution of that. And, you know, I, you know what? I really think that the best material is coming from the fans. Yeah. It's yeah. not actually the, the studio that is in control of Star Wars anymore. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of fan stuff out there that just far surpasses. <coughs> and, <yeah. coughs> and the Mandalorian. Can I mention the Mandalorian? Yeah. 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 Something that sets it apart differently from, yes. from, you know, the... So you're speaking positively of the Mandalorian? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. 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 From what I've seen so far, I mean, look, the first season, there was, I think, maybe one or two episodes that was in. Yeah, it was okay, but the rest of them were all quite well done. Um, and I think it had a lot to do with the, the, the sticking to the law, the sticking yeah. to... You know the rules of Star Wars, so to speak. Yes, there's lots yeah. of fan yeah. uh, critiques of, of those films that are just very yeah. incredible, detailed, and very um, spot on with their analysis of yes. the script, the, screen, mm. the screenplay, the structure of the screenplay is not being right here, not being right here. This, mm. You know, I'm a diehard so fan. Just <clears throat> they know what they are looking for, I guess, and what yeah. feels. So I think they'd be wise to listen to some of the some of the. Well, I think in the case of The Mandalorian, it's just been made by people that are very passionate. I mean, not to say that the people that made the last few Star Wars are not passionate, um, but there's a different angle of approach that they used that really did 
strike a tune with the audience. Yes. The audience seemed to really warm to, you know, the, yes. the concepts brought across or just, you know, what I guess they're kind of familiar with, but also there's new being put into it as well. So right. but it's, it's the not, respect. It's the way the universe is respected. The universe that's already that's been, you know, part of the popular culture for 40 years. Yeah. You know, there's a respect for those characters in the story that, that really right. needs to be oh. maintained, that the fans are, are demanding. Um, yes. Perhaps yeah, but the great thing about that is that the universe is so that universe is so rich <coughs> with stories. I mean, it's just endless. It is. You know? yeah. yeah. So I mean, we've just got to tap into that endless energy that keeps evolving, and because yeah. the universe is quite infinite, even in its own development, and it, there can't be a future unless we come up with creative new ideas. Yeah. <laughs> Rehashing a lot of the old stuff. Mm. That's in the, within the studio system, you mean? Sure. Well, but I think there's lots yeah. of independent filmmakers that sure. are working really hard to have their stories told and to, um, you know, get get stories made that are a little bit unusual, maybe haven't been seen a thousand times, rehashed yeah. twenty different ways. Yeah. You know, and I think it's really important to nurture those upcoming screenwriters and, and people with ideas that really deserve to be mm. put on the table and instead of supporting the big mega. I mean, sure, you can give them your money as well at the box office, but uh, I think you should balance out it for every Avengers slash Marvel slash massive budget thing, whatever it may be, that you go support independent film and smaller film and, you know, maybe European film or Australian film. Yes. <laughs> the, the Australian what? industry okay. loves your patronage. What we, really, <laughs> what we really need to do is find a group of people who have been living underground <laughs> forever and then... Get them to come up with some story ideas. Yeah. See if it's, see if there's yeah. anything different. Yeah. Um, because I, you know, what I think we're seeing a lot of the same thing. Yeah. It's just, yeah. uh, and how many different storylines are there really? There's not very many. Yes. Yeah. 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 So I think look, when it comes to the evolution of entertainment, um, you know, we're going through a technological evolution at the moment. Yes. Stories are pretty much the same. You know, it's there's a saying. I don't know if I could like with for your listeners. It, it's, it's the same S, different smell. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the same thing. But um, so te- technology is changing. And I think probably that may be, because, you know, remember when 3D was quite, was out there quite yes. a bit? It's yeah. not as much anymore, but no. it was a real fad. It was, it was like, okay, we. But I think the way people through. are watching content generally is just under massive transformation, you know? Mm. Mm. It, it, you know, in our youth, it was you went to the movies or yeah. you watched it on TV and that was it. And then maybe yeah. VHS came in in the 80s, <laughs> yeah. depending on your, your you know, the life. Yeah. But nowadays, yeah. people just have content. They're assaulted with the, so much product being made too yes. for different formats for, you know, your your internet formats, your YouTube and things like that as well, So mm-hmm. and streaming services. So the whole way people access stories is evolving and, and their attention spans are devolving, I would say, too. Mm-hmm. People seem to have shorter attention spans. That's because you know, they already know to skip, it. Easy to, you know, people are so used to skip, 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 or next, or just fast-forwarding through things wherever they want. Yeah. People's attention spans are a little bit shorter. You know, well, they could be, but like I said, they, they've already seen it. It's sort of like, yeah, I've seen, <clears throat> yeah. I'm kind of used to this, so I want something. That's why they, they, yeah. they change channels. Yeah, it's got to be pretty good, I think, to keep people's attention. Yeah. That's why I think it's, the next thing is like... Um, going and seeing a 3D movie is the, the next little sort of um, yo-yo to come in will probably be holographic technology. 
you know, um, but when it comes to... Well, isn't that VR, virtual realities? Well, yeah, virtual reality, I think, seems to be more of um, an online thing. It can be experienced in the home, whereas holographic technology has to be brought in. It's sort of like Formula One racing. You know, all the technologies that they use for those cars, um, that eventually filters down to the general populace, you know, through the products that these major car companies sell. Um, And it's the same thing with with cinema. Um, Cinema has... Have you ever heard of smell-o-vision? You know, yeah, tried, there, so. there was one or two, or there was a few cinemas in the United States that brought out Smell-O-Vision. Um, it could have been Actually. the 50s or 60s, just as a little bit of an extra draw card to get people in. Yeah. They canned it eventually because they couldn't pump the smells out fast enough. <laughs> so, yeah, something like that. But, and, and the olfactory actually holds a smell for about 50, 60 seconds. Really? where yeah. it registers in yeah. the brain and yeah. then you've got to change yeah. it again yeah. and then it becomes a mishmash, <laughs> I guess. So maybe that's not surprising. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but what I'm getting at here is that I think the next thing will probably be holographics. Yeah. Um, and But in relationship to technology, it won't be far after that that you'll be able to get it in your home anyway. Yeah. So it's sort of like what's really lacking, I think, at the moment when it comes to the cinema industry is that there's, there's not enough pomp and fanfare involved in it. It's very sterile. It's like I said before, fast food, get them in, get them out. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. there's no sort of event as such. Yeah. It's just let's go to see this movie and then do something else rather than... So the, the specialness has been taken away. It's also gotten very expensive, in, in, certainly in this country, oh, to absolutely. see a film. You know, it's 20 yeah. bucks for one yeah. person to go yeah. see a movie yeah. and that's a yeah. lot of money. You do the exchange rate, that's a lot of money. And then if you want to buy popcorn drinks as well, on top yeah, of that. Oh, yeah, candy bar sales, that. Well, that's the way it gets you. Bring your own in. Well, that's where they make the money, is the candy bar. Yeah, that's yeah. right. How much for that box of popcorn? How much did you cost? Oh, it was $16. Yeah, 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 for maybe about, about five cents. Well, not even five cents. Well, what you were saying before, my son said in the old days, they used to develop the character slowly and yeah. you'd be drawn in and you'd get yeah. to engage and get to know that character so you felt like a, a personal relationship yeah. growing yeah and then when something would happen to that character and they were taken you're like oh, oh yeah, no, no, yeah. you can't do that you were so yeah. engaged yeah but now it's just mm. you know, in out get them on explosions and things mm. i think what i find interesting on tv is there's so much not that I'm knocking that, but there's a lot of things about people that have been murdered, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of detective stories, <clears throat> yeah. a lot of this and that. And I go, oh, you know, you got a little balance you need to bring in yeah. as well. Because yeah. I like the fun stuff and Disney stuff. Yeah. You need that balance, yeah. I think. Definitely. But you guys have just now, speaking of independent films, yeah. so you just had a wonderful award with Earl's Town. Yes, yeah. So... Starring Marshall Napier. Marshall Napier. Yep. Marshall yes. Napier. Yes. Was and Matt, Matt Kerwin. Kerwin, yep. Directed, directed it, wrote it, produced it. You were one of the I'm in it. Well. Yeah, and I co-produced it. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. So the award you won it for screen. We won. So we were lucky enough to screen at BIF, which is the um, Brisbane International Film Festival, and they had a live screening. So even in COVID times, we were able to have a screening in a cinema, which was very nice. Uh, it wasn't. 
wasn't as full as we would have liked, but that was just the necessity of the age that we're in at the moment, unfortunately. But it was lovely to get a, a get into a festival. It was the first festival we'd submitted to, so mm-hmm. lovely to get in and have a screening. And then we very fortunately uh, won the uh, Screen Queensland Short Film Award, yeah, uh, which is great. Yeah, yeah, which um, enables us to hopefully develop the project a little bit further. Um, yes. So it's a short film, so it's 15 minutes long. Um, so but we're looking at developing it into a feature length. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. great. Yeah. Or even maybe a series. Of maybe even off. a series. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, definitely a lot expanding the story because it's quite um for a fifteen minute short it's pretty uh, complex. Okay. Yeah. Um. So it's got lots of themes and <clears throat> sort of intersecting storylines that you can expand on quite well. I think that will um, you know, make well for larger. Format, longer format. Mm. So yeah. you can see now there's a Facebook page with Earlstown itself that's been created. There is, yes, yeah, on Facebook. If you, you know, hashtag Earlstown short film, I think is our hashtag handle, you can find it or, yeah, yep. Earlstown. Yep. There you go there. Yeah. And you're also on Facebook as well. People need to connect with you yeah. or your coaching. Yes. Mungo. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so Mungo's. Mungo's Private Coaching for Actors. For Actors. Yep. You can yep. find on Facebook as yep. well. Yes. And Emma, you have your own. I have an acting page as well. Just page. my name. Emma Randall. Yeah. R-A-N-D-A-E-L-L. And Mungo McKay. Mungo McKay. M-C-K-A-Y. Yeah. Yeah. Or look us up on IMDB. Yeah, well, Yes, definitely. Look up. Those names, and you'll see everything. There's a long, long list. I think I had a 12 page document I was going to point out. That's not all of it. No, that's only about a third or yeah. less, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, some cool. of the movies that you've been in was uh, Malibu Shark Attack. <laughs> yeah, well, is it called Malibu or was it, was it Goblin Shark no, Attack? No, it's called, cool. it's Malibu. Oh, it was Malibu oh, Shark, Malibu Attack. Shark oh, Attack. Oh, yes, 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 that's right. It was in that. Got my legs bitten off in that one. But you didn't see me die, which is great. So I didn't have to scream. <laughs> I didn't have to scream. Well, yeah. So in the movie, I was like, okay. It's like, I'll, I'll be off. I'm just going to go and check over here. And you know I'm going to die. And the yeah. next thing you see, I'm floating on a, on a wooden pallet with no legs. And I'm dead. And it's like, great. Everyone else had to get in the water. <laughs> you know, dying. Dying. Yeah. But yeah, uh, that and... Um, Dying's not fun to do. It's well, yeah. It's kind of it's easy. If you cannot get out of it, um, <laughs> yeah, because I was in. Um, I mean, that isn't out yet. Um, but I'm in the opening credit. I believe, not 100 percent sure, but I get I my head so. cut off. <laughs> oh, and then, and then apparently, like within the sequence, my head gets plonked. I don't know if I should say this, but my head gets plonked on the table, and then the title comes up. Yeah. Oh. Something like that. <laughs> so oh, I yes, did a bit I of screaming that. in that one. That's that's yeah. right. But um, uh, uh, Daybreakers, Undead. Um, uh, Inspector Inspect, Inspect, Inspect Gadget 2. Yes. And uh, you were allowed to say what you just recently had a part in? Uh, the you Young Rock. It? The oh, Young okay. Rock. <laughs> Can you say it? Well, yeah, because I'm, I can't say anything else. <laughs> say anything else. <laughs> well, <laughs> apparently, we know that the Young Rock is being shot here in Brisbane. <laughs> yes. And I was in it. Fantastic. Yeah, but it was just a walk on, it was just a daily. Um, but I'm in two episodes with a, little, with a little bit of dialogue, and that was that was a sweet gig. Yeah, that was awesome. Well, I had so much fun. Great to see that we are getting things being filmed again and produced yeah. with the whole COVID thing, and the yeah. industry is really being shut down. Mm. 
and you have done quite a few things lately. Now, your character development is just hilarious. Emma, she cracks me up all the time, especially you and eight Austral Australians, which is spelled like with aliens. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. hilarious in the yeah. character. Yeah, speaking of villains earlier on, she was yes. good fun to play. And so out there, you know, yes. when you're playing an alien in a comedy, excuse me, you kind of have free license to do whatever you want. So I, and she got to say Uranus. I got to say Uranus. Yeah. I saw that. The looks on that's that's on my reel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, lots of fun. Yeah. But one of your characters I love. So you have to bring her up. You have to meet this lady. Okay, her name's Marina. Oh, yes. She's a wonderful fortune teller. Yes, she is. <laughs> oh, my God, Marina, the way you were talking, I was so drawn. Ah. She was telling the horoscope. Yes, oh, yes. Oh, oh, she was, I bet. Yes. Oh, yeah. Marina, please. Yeah. please oh, thank you. Yes. <laughs> tell me, what does my future hold? Oh, I will. I'll look at your chart very closely. And, uh, well, and that wasn't made up BS either. That no, was that was like, I know. Oh, yeah. probably know enough. Mm. Yeah. Nothing like, you know, when you read in the newspaper, the little blurbs, Aquarius, and all that sort of, nah, no, it's, yeah. wow. Very it's small very, part of much love. The, the detail is very interesting yeah. and quite accurate. Yeah. And so you can get, oh, a little bit sexy. Yeah. yeah. So, you were talking then earlier about Stuff. workshop. Yep. Uh, oh, the, um, the extra work. Yes. Doing a doing a ton of extra work, and my experience on the factory room floor, so to speak, mm. and I was interested. Like I wanted to continue it a little bit further with with um, something a little bit more serious. Mm. Um, and I'd already done uh, what I would call scratch and sniff courses. Yeah. Uh, scratch and sniff. I mean, I, I came to use start using that terminology more so. The further I was into teaching at the Actors Workshop, I sort of understood, you know, why you should actually call it that. Because when it comes to doing a short course of six to eight weeks, on you know how many weeks it is, um, all you can do really is scratch the surface and have a sniff. You can't really get sort of in depth because there is a lot of depth. There are a lot of things that I, I would call tools that you can use um, to bring out a performance. Um, and to be able to correspond all of that type of stuff in such a short period of time, it's just almost impossible. So it's pretty much, here it is, this is what it's like, uh, now moving on to the next thing. Yeah, um, also too, I guess the other thing uh, is, uh, from in hindsight is that uh, the way that a lot of these um, short courses are structured is that they're not very informative, so to speak, um, from my own personal dealings with students. And, I mean, if it's my one critique of any of uh, my peers when it comes to coaching someone or teaching someone how to act, is that you have to be able to um, give them an idea but then be able to break it down into separate ideas that form that one idea. So I guess explain... like. When I show you there is a car, it has four wheels and it goes. But yeah. do you know how the engine works? Yeah. All you know, so, I mean, look, anyone... Because I always believe that, you know, everyone's got at least one decent role in them. Yeah. You know, the trick is to be... is In the longevity of your acting is to be able to create different characters. Yeah. And you can only do that if you have some type of uh, training in the process or the method. Yeah. Um, so, you know... 
the, the short courses are, are pretty much there's the car um, you can get in and go for a drive but we don't have enough time to pull the engine apart yeah. whereas um, you know uh, my background now is that you know we, we were teaching people for two years um, on a full-time basis you know, not, not only the theory, um, but also the, the practical that, that needed yes. to correspond with that theory. Yes. But on top of that, there's um, the, the reasons why you're doing it, but also, too, there has to be some type of parallel construction some, to, for the student to be able to understand what you're talking about. Yeah, like as if you were there on set and what to expect or to see how... Well, I'll give you an example, and the, the, but this is the thing about when you when you teach someone, when you coach someone, um, you know, if you look at two actors interacting with one another as characters, um, and you see that they're not really connected to one another, um, you know how uh, it can be interpreted as they have no bounce, yeah. you know, they're just not bouncing off one another, it's sure. quite sort of cold, yeah. and you tell an actor that, and then you say, put some more life into it, are you kidding me? How are they going to interpret that? How are they going to know what to do? Yeah. You know, so when it comes to the differentiation between like getting the car and drive it and here's how the engine works, when it comes to an aspect like that, it's like, well, you're not listening to the other person. To start off with, you need to engage in the mechanical problem, just become aware yeah. of the very basics of the mechanical process that is involved in listening to someone and processing and then saying something back to them. Yeah. So the simplest method, um, and a lot of different techniques do this, is they say, repeat the other person's dialogue. Okay, so for a start, what you're doing out aloud is repeating the other person's dialogue. So straight away, what you're doing is you are adding to the engagement and connection to that other person. And new students to start off with, they have a little trouble wrangling, but they get it fairly quickly. You know that there's a necessary uh, amount of repeat that you do to the other, for the other person's dialogue, um, but after that simple process happens, then internalize it. Instead of saying it out aloud, say it in your head because your brain works a lot faster. Yes. So right there is the artificial mechanism of the timing that should be involved in you actually processing what that. It's a split second. It's very small, but it must be there in place. So that's going to help you in the connection to create, start creating more of a bounce, you know. And, but then to take it a little further than that, to further explain to the student that, you know, once you're aware that this mechanism should be in place every time, otherwise you're not connected to that person, then you have to take it to the next level. It's like, okay, well, when you repeat the other person's dialogue, um, that's fair enough, but it's very cold and kind of logical. The next thing within the process, and this is what I've, this is how I interpret it, what I, I think it is, is that this, the cyclic nature of conversation is that when I say something to you, you process it and then you say something to me. Yeah. To further break it down, we'll define it through reaction and response. So when you repeat my dialogue out aloud, okay, you've got the timing of that, but what that is, is your reaction. Yeah. So you have your reaction, which is your brain process, then you have your response. Okay, which is your speaky-speaky, yeah. yeah, your dialogue that you say. Okay, so now you've, you're having more of a connection in a way um, because, all right, what is your reaction? Your reaction is actually your emotional state. Okay, so whatever it is that someone says to you, and it doesn't have to be what's spoken to you all the time, it's what you see. It's either what is, it's 
what you ingest either um, visually or what you hear, you know, um, yes. the, uh, or, not orally, um, audibly. Audibly, yes. yes, yeah, yeah. So there's two different things, but <clears throat> if it's going to be a reaction and there has to be an emotional state to it then what is that emotional state? You can't just say, oh, I'm going to have a reaction to it. Well, define it. Yes. Define it first. Yes. So then you know exactly how you're going to react. Yes. So eventually within the process of creating bounce with other actors, yes. first of all, you start off just by repeating the other person's dialogue. Then you internalize it. Then you consciously think, is this a reaction? How do I feel about that? Yes. And then once you've defined it, so you could be um, shocked. Oh. Uh, well, no, let's say angry. That's an easy one. Your, your, your emotional state is of anger in reaction to what that person has, has said to you. So your response, all right, now if you consciously think, I'm angry, all right, and now I'm going to, res my, going to respond to you, that anger then generates into the physical vibration of your speech. And not just that, it's also to your physical movement. So once you start becoming in contact more with that, um, then you have a better opportunity to be able to bounce because to start off with, you're engaged with yeah. the other person already because there's nothing worse than an actor that just switches off, yeah. that doesn't really listen, that just waits for their turn to speak. speak. Yeah. <laughs> really, yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what I'm getting at when it comes to when you teach someone how to perform a certain thing, you know, um, you must be able to further explain it into its smaller parts mm. for them to then put it together. And that's within that process, it takes a little bit of time because mm. I think also too, within the cyclic nature of understanding things, you know, there is, there is, um, it's like two steps forward, one step back. There's a certain amount of backpedaling that you do within the process of learning. Mm. Um, but that's not to say you're going backwards permanently. You, you, it's, it's almost like a life cycle yeah. within itself, the whole yeah. learning process. So well, sometimes you need to go back to basics just to touch on, I guess. Well, I, I think it's the foundation that you create is yeah. everything. Yes. If you have a solid foundation, then your house isn't going to be made of cards. Yes. It's as simple as that. So the stronger you have in that foundation, the more the, the better chance you're going to have of having a solid performance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, but what I'm getting at there is, you know, it's just that explanation. And I think short courses, in a way, are of a detriment when it comes to <laughs> explaining the minutia of, of what is involved, you know, just because some people say that they get it, but they don't really get it. Okay, they might get it later, but you know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, well, it's better to lay it all out for them to see because then they have a better chance of getting it eventually. Yeah, you know? But ultimately, the most important thing out of all of it is, yeah, you can intellectualize till the cows come home, mm -hmm. but you need to be able to put it into physical practice because what we're dealing here is, is energetic vibration. Because that's what emotional states are. It's an energetic vibration. It's a waveform that, you know, through the visual medium of film, we can see it and identify it. It's like when you look at someone walk down the street and their shoulders are hanging and their head's low and it looks like gravity is going to pull them to the ground. It doesn't look like they had a good day. No, you know, that's, that's right. the energetic vibration of someone who is upset, 
unhappy, you know, whatever it is, you can put an interpretation to that, as opposed to someone skipping, woohoo, just won the lotto or something, you know, you can tell because it is a specific energetic vibration. And the way to be able to act, you know, is to clearly identify what your emotional state is and then physically practice, you know, that state, you know, because all it is is a physical vibration. You know, and what we're dealing with here is purely a visual medium when it comes to film. Dialogue is secondary, okay? It's only there to be because you can't explain it visually. But within that context of visual of, of seeing it, you are an energetic form vibrating at a particular frequency for that character. And if it is clear, then people will get it. Yeah, they'll pick yeah. that vibe up. Yeah, oh, and the beauty about film too is that I mean the camera is a truth lie detector. Um, it can pick up every little fine detail. Yeah, so you can you can see absolutely everything. And, you know, in the close-up, when you get really close to the character, if that was your real personal space, you'd be that far away yes. from the person. Yeah. But you're not. But you have that that uh, ease of knowing that that's, there, there's something separating you, that you do, you, you are taking on the role of the voyeur, so to speak. Mm. You can get right in there and, and watch and observe without being noticed yeah and because of that you know you can see so much more so um if you're not again you know on that level where you should be it's going to make it a lot it's going to make it quite obvious you know and i think particularly um when it comes to your professional peers you know it's funnily um you know, you can almost get away with murder in front of the general audience when it comes to visual, um, visually expressing something to them or um, uh, putting something in where their minds are tricked into believing that is part of the sequence of what they're watching. And I'll give you the ex- this example. I was in this film once where this, um, my character, he was a real butthead. He was a real arrogant asshole. Yeah. All right. And um, his, he had this little dog. And he would come home, oh, poopsie, you know, and and give the dog a biscuit to eat. And the interesting thing was that no one could get near this dog except for the owner. It was this, like a chihuahua type of thing. Yeah. And it was really vicious. Yeah. And um, the, the guy who um, who directed this, he, he invited me over to his place and he said, have a look at this. And he showed me a rough edit. And I was looking at it and... I come in, my character comes in, oh, hi, Poopsie, reaches, bends down and gives the dog a biscuit and then my character walks away. And, and I said to him, I, don't, I never gave the dog a biscuit. I don't remember that. And he said, have a closer look at the person's hand. And it was the old lady's hand uh-huh. that had come in. It was just a quick two-second thing. Because she was- yeah, but because my mind had been sort of taken away with that, with sort of the progression of those images... Yeah. Um, I was tricked into believing that it was actually my hand. Yeah. You know, it was that quick, but it wasn't even me. Yeah. You know, yeah. so um, when it comes to expressing yourself uh, as a character, there are certain things that you can that you can get away with with, gen- with the general audience, so to speak, because they don't exactly know the technique. Yeah. Um, the, the, they don't know, they're not familiar with the process, but it's your professional peers that when they look at you and they go... You know, nah, I can see you kind of dropped it right there, or your accent dropped, or you know, there's they, they can pick you to pieces. It's like a, this joke: how many actors does it take to change a light bulb? How many? One hundred. 
one to do it and 99 others to say, I could have done it better. Yeah? And what you want to be, what you really want to aim for is the 99 others to say, I couldn't have done it any better. And there's all great examples, you know, like Heath Ledger with the Joker. It's like, yeah. I mean, Joaquin Phoenix had his own different version. Um, and I don't think anyone could have done it like that either. That was just fantastic, you know, fantastic performance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Getting back to the, the whole, eventually getting to the actors' workshop. So I'd, I'd done quite a few scratch and sniff short courses, done a lot of extra work, wanted to be more serious about it. So I rang up a friend um, who had done a bit of acting as well, and I said, do you want to get together and let's just try and do something, sort of be a bit sort of proactive, etc." And um, she said, I'll tell you what, I've heard of this woman called Lynn Kidd, um, and she's got her own um, acting school. Uh, do you want to go along and, and see what, what's going on there? And I went, yeah, well, that, that's that's great. So um, went there and finished up staying there for like 18 years because I think yeah. it, had, it had already been open for a couple of years previous to that. Yeah. yeah so um, I went through, did the full-time course, and then um, at the end of that, I guess, did some more acting stuff, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. and was interested in the teaching aspect of it um, because also, too, it sort of it, it kept my mind fresh. Um, and, and it was just kind of, I, I really liked the methodology of what Link Kid was teaching. Yeah. Like, you know, it was, it was very in-depth and very, um... That was some, uh, Stella, or she uses a certain method? Link Kid. Yeah. It's, um, it's an, it's, it's an, it's the Adler method, but it's the Link Kid variation of the Adler okay. method. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I've started to, because I, I didn't teach camera or how to act in front of the camera originally that was um the responsibility of another teacher there called rob doran what i did was that i i guess you could call it just work experience or whatever in my own free time i would go to his camera acting classes at the actors workshop and i would operate the camera so i did that for three years um of doing that um and then I guess because I was there all the time and I showed that I was interested, Lynn said, do you you want to train to be a teacher? And I said, yeah, sure, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, so I eventually then moved into teaching acting for camera um, as well as improvisation and basic writing structure. Um, So when did you leave there then and you decided to open your own? Yeah, well, we were at Wollongabba. Um, right near the city, just before you cross over the river, um, we were we were there for ages. I was like, oh, it was twelve or 13, twelve years, thirteen years. Time goes so quickly. Yes, I, I could be wrong, but anyway, um, yeah. So we finished up. We we went to uh, ACPA, which is the um, Aboriginal Centre of Performing Arts, which is at Kangaroo Point, which is just down the road. And we were there for a couple of years, and then um, Lynn, unfortunately, due to health problems, she couldn't continue on anymore. And, you know, we were, we were talking about continuing the Actors' Workshop, but uh, myself, Emma, and Rob run it, and it was just like, no, it just, it, it, too difficult. Yeah. Too difficult to do that type of thing. Yeah. So eventually, uh, she closed down, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> I had a little bit of a hiatus, I guess. Um, I worked a normal job for about nine months, but there wasn't too much creativity in that. It got a little bit boring. Loved working with the guys. They were really interesting. Interesting character studies. And um, finally went, oh, I came so close to becoming a train driver. (laughs) 
Yeah, because I don't know if you remember the QR thing, the Queensland Rail, how they were short of um, train drivers. And they were opening it up to the public. Right. Yeah, and because usually if you want to be a train driver, you have to be working for Queensland Rail for quite a long time. You have to be in the system. But this is the first time that actually opened it up to the general public. Mm -hmm. And it started off with one um, test. It was an online test to see if you could go any further. And it had all these questions that were pertaining to Boolean logic. Boolean logic, and you got to be kidding me. It was the symbols and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's like I don't don't quite understand. Well, this is about Emma was great because um, part of this whole like she was training me how to um, interpret things like the different systems of processes how they uh, what is it they test you. Yes. Yeah. 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 So yeah. new stuff like that. But I I felt one I felt one I, I got through. Yeah. I got through, which was really arsy. I couldn't believe it, <laughs> you know, because I did the test, didn't hear anything back. Yeah. Thought, oh, I must have failed that miserably. And then I got a, an invite to go into the city mm-hmm. um, to do the actual practical tests and stuff like that, right. you know, in front of a monitor with the earphones and the buttons and stuff like that. Yeah. And um, I failed one question, and that's what <sighs> that's what stopped me from being a train driver. And it was... Well, it was one, the, the, te- the, the one particular question or test, it involved actually um, with a joystick moving a dot around like a little track and trying uh-huh. to keep it within the boundaries. Oh, okay. And then on the earphones, you'd hear B and you'd have to press B while you're moving around. And I went out over the, I used to be really good at video games. Yeah. And you would think that, because when I knew that was happening, it's like, oh yes, I got this one. And the <laughs> one that I thought that I really do the best at, I did the worst. And because of that, didn't become a train driver. Oh. Yeah, which but is unfortunate. You were just destined what? for better things. Well, maybe. So, well, you know what? Those those um, train drivers uh, they earn over one hundred and ten grand a year. Okay. Yeah. So when you see so one, let's of those, rethink that one. one of those drivers going through there, well, the base rate's ninety grand a year. Wow. A trainee train driver, ninety grand flat rate to start wow. off with. No overtime. So, yeah, I, I think probably maybe we might have been financially better off. But geez, so after a while, I think it just would have got maybe a bit boring yeah, yeah. yeah um maybe, maybe I, I don't know you gotta love that type of stuff but maybe you can get a role as one uh possibly oh mm. uh, yeah possibly i haven't I was... seen a train film based one in a little while yeah well they're kind of antiquated <laughs> now who takes a train <laughs> well especially the old ones um yeah but then i come close to uh, joining the australian defense force mm. yeah um and i qualified for geospatial intelligence yeah so uh, but I got sectioned forward because of back problems so I, I came pretty close to um, doing a complete U-turn on the whole acting profession and doing something totally different I, I guess the matter of circumstance I, I just fell back into it I was drawn back towards you know the whole acting thing yeah, um, so... You didn't really go into the Army, though. Did you have any no. experience there? No. No, no, no. I, I got section forward, which is uh, was because of my back. I have a, a little bit of a back injury there. Yeah. Um, funnily enough, was uh, really, really turned out to be a bad thing this year. I mean, after the COVID lockdown, yeah. um, just when things were starting to get back into normal, and then I did my back. So I herniated my S1, and I was on the floor. I couldn't move for two and a half weeks. Just uh, lying on the floor. Yeah. yeah, so it was pretty serious. I, I'd never peed into an ice cream bucket before. 
you know, because I couldn't go to the toilet. Yeah. It's just, it was awful. Mm. Yeah. And it's, it's taken me months and months and months. And I had this wonderful treatment uh, called Bowen therapy. Um, and I had to have it done as, as the final thing because I had the, the film shoot on the Young Rock. Yes. Um, and funnily enough, the first audition that I did for that, the first self-test, I couldn't stand at all. I had to do it lying on the floor. Um, <laughs> yeah, the second self-test, I didn't get that part. The second self-test that I did, I could only stand for about a minute. Um, and then I had to lie back down again. So it was just one take and then lie back down and try and get back up and finish up like supporting myself trying to do it and I, I got that part yeah. and then I did two other self-tests for different parts for it after that as well so but it so it took that long I guess for them to, to sort out okay well he's good for that part let's let's take him so Great. um yeah <clears throat> but just getting back to this whole um after I after my miserable failed attempts at a alternate career path um <laughs> I wanted to get back into it, so the only choice that I had, I mean, look, I, I could have hired a venue and started my own short courses and stuff like that, but um, again, <laughs> what I said about short courses is that there's there's only so much that you can teach people, um, but it's usually it's not enough, so what I did was that I just opened up my own private coaching um, business, mm -hmm. so I, I can pretty much, uh, a couple of, couple of years, a couple of years now, yep, yep um, so I can pretty much teach anyone on any level. Mm. Yep. Um, I've developed my own particular process. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I would describe it best as if you've ever made a model plane, train or car, etc. you have the step-by-step -step process. It's yeah. the step one, step two, step three. So I've developed a process that's very easy to follow and understand. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the interesting thing about this is too, is that when I coach this stuff, um, to, to act as, it's like, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. It's, it's up to the, the individual to take this information and use it for, to better themselves, you know. So, um, but within the coaching process, you know, usually they continuously, they come back and we just work and refine on the different aspects. Another way of looking at it too is that, I mean, just with uh, looking at a car and knowing how the engine works, um, knowing how to act, you have, you can use different aspects of the technique as tools. Yes. Um, tools to be able to refine and better a certain moment within a scene that your character is expressing, um, or uh, use, it, use them as diagnostic tools within themselves. Because one of the other things that I always um, coach actors is that you must be in a continuous form of self-assessment. You know, you after a take is done, it's like you have to check over. Did I do this? Did I do this? Did I do everything that the director wanted me to do? Yes. You know, so it's that self-assessment. And within that self-assessment, if you think you've fallen short on delivering a line of dialogue in any given moment, well, then you should be able to then pinpoint it and fix it. Yes. You know, redefine it, just fix it in a certain way mm. so that by the time you do the next take, um, you've got your act together, yes. so to yeah. speak. So, yeah, using all these things as tools, yeah. Because I, what I always try to encourage students to do as well is, is be in that process but never be self-critical yeah. of oneself because it's always detrimental to, you know, further progression. Because once you start um, adding that negative aspect into your personality, then it becomes self-defeatist, like a brick wall. Yes. You know, you, you say, well, I'm no good at that. Well, then, sure, okay, put that into practice. You will be no good at it. Yeah, exactly. 
Yep. Rather than, okay, well, you're not too good at that particular thing. Why is that? Yep. And how do we fix that? Yes. You know, so pretty much, I mean, I've, I've, I've been blessed in that way of, of um, being taught by a master teacher, Lynn Kidd, who, yeah. who knows what the process is, what is involved in how to execute it. But not only that, how to be able to express and convey it to someone who's listening, especially within layman's terms to start off with, because beginners don't know any better, you know, and you can teach them any amount of crap that you want. And a lot of that does happen um, with, with different places. Yep. Um, but there is, you know, there's a particular discipline that's involved in, in this, you know, but to be able to know how to wrangle it as well, how to be able to express that and convey it, you know, I think is a real blessing. Thank you, Lynn. She yeah. did a great job on that. So, so currently at the moment, um, yes, I'm coaching. Uh, I did, well, because of my uh, back injury, I haven't got back, in, back into it, so to speak, uh, when it comes to maintenance class. Okay. Um, I hold maintenance class once a week. Um, and that's just purely maintenance. Like a, I give everyone a standard, the same scene. There's no different scenes. Um, and that gives everyone the, the, uh, the benefit of being able to watch somebody else's performance and see what they did. Because yes. it's this whole thing about you, you do a lot of learning by watching other people do what they do. Yep. And then you take that on board and then you give it your own perspective. And the interesting thing about maintenance class is that um, no two performances were the same. Yes. They're all different and they always have been different over the, you know, the, the ages that I've taught that. Yeah. yeah which is fantastic. Yeah. You know, um, but also too, to be able to understand the actor because I've also directed a lot of stuff. I mean, I've, I, I think it might be an IMDb how many short films I've directed. Yes. It's over there's 30. There's a whole but, list if you want to go there to um, check out all the different things. Yeah, well, there's, there's, there's more than that. So, yes. but those are the official ones that, um, uh, Matt DeCassano, the another friend of mine who managed to get those on there for some reason. I mean, all that stuff, I don't put that on there. Somebody else does. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm kind <laughs> of... Busy. Well, no, it's more like I'm anti-technology in a world. I don't really care. It's, it's like, well, yeah, that's great. I've done that, but moving on. It's like, yes. you know, when people say, oh, you know, what was it like in this film? It was a lot of fun, but, you know, looking forward to the next thing. Yes. You know, I've had that experience. Um, yeah, so... <clears throat> Um, the other thing too is that I'm also trying to um, get into the onset coaching aspect of of uh, work as well. Mm, that would um, be great. Well, yeah, it would be. Um, I just have to sort of, I guess, work more towards that eventually. Um, uh, but you see, the, the thing is that I'm not really much of a person that showcases what I do. Um, I, I, it seems to be that a lot of actors. To be almost successful in a way, you have to be out there and promote yourself all the time, be very sort of um, sociable. Not that I'm antisocial, but um, it's just not an aspect of my personality that I'm very big on. Yes. You know, um, I always look at things as like, okay, someone's doing a film, well, it's like a, it's like a ride. You know, it's like, oh, we'll just get on the bus and have a little ride with this one, see yes. what it's like, you know, yeah. see what that experience is. And because... Um, because the one thing that I've learned too over the years is that actors, there's two different types of, of actors. And Michael Caine um, brought this across um, in one of his books. He said um, that there's the travel actor and the method actor. Um, and Michael Caine always said that he was a travel actor. And I, I think, yeah, that's true. I'm a travel actor as well. 
I mean, even though I do incorporate the method into my performance, um, I, it, one of the things about acting gigs is that you get to go to places that you would never go to, yes. that you aren't allowed to visit, that are off limits to the general public, etc. So you're able to experience those different places, um, and not only that, the people that come with it, because with every different circumstance, no matter where, where it is geographically, people, there are nuances to people, you know, and where they come from. And that's always interesting to sort of experience yeah, as well. Because, oh my God, wouldn't it be just so boring if it was just the same thing over yeah. and over again? I mean, and I think that's why I couldn't sort of do a normal nine to five desk job um, because it's the, the, the boredom of the routine, yeah. what I think get to me, even though you could almost parallel that to the acting process. It's like, aren't you doing the same thing anyway? Well, it's like, yeah, but it's kind of different. You know, it is, there is a difference in that. And that's what keeps it interesting and fresh. And I think that's why a lot of people that, that do work those nine to five jobs, they need that escapism. They go, they go home and they watch something on, to, on, the, on, the, on the screen or they go and see something at the cinema, you know, as a, as a form of escapism, you know, from that, that, Mundane. Mundane nine to five life, yeah. which really yeah. sucks. But and, and I, I sort of I feel I empathise with people, you know, that are stuck in a situation like that, um, that have no other really choice, no other choice, so to speak, yeah. you know, um, due to you know the demographics where they live, their education, their background, etc. Yeah. You know, um, being in the right place at the right time really does help. Yeah. You know, when it comes to living your, your social circumstance. You know, someone, you know, when it comes to Brisbane, uh, someone like Anala, when, when we look at the, the, the lower class uh, suburbs compared to Ascot, you know, um, there are certain privileges and, and, and opportunities that those people in those places have, but they're different, you know. And I think sort of like when you start to become more rich and affluent, so to speak, the more doors open up. So to speak, that's so that's just yeah. There, there's a disclaimer to that though, because yeah. it also too depends on the person that you are. Yes, you know, and right. and but that's what it all boils down to is the person that you are, because you can you can be from you know um, a poor suburb, or you can be from a rich suburb, but these people can have the potential to do the same thing. Doing great things, absolutely. Every human being has that within themselves um, to be able to strive for betterment. Um, but it's just unfortunately the way the social construct has been created around us, it does create a lot of boundaries. There are not only physical boundaries, but mental boundaries involved with that as well. And it's the gameplay that people use with one another when it comes to putting other people down just so other people can somehow raise themselves up a little bit higher. And it happens with, the, with in acting as well. I mean, yes. there is a stigma attached to Queensland actors, especially if you're from down south New South Wales, um, or Victoria, um, because it's that state rivalry, so to speak, you yeah. know, the Maroons versus the Blues with rugby league. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I mean, that kind of has been there for quite a long time. Yeah. Um, but the words that come with it as well, you know, when it's... Um, and I've, I've experienced it firsthand, you know, I've, I've worked on a... a on a, should I say it? It's quite, look, Not a film, but or well, it was a television show okay. that was being shot down at Warner Brothers, and there was a pre-production. There was a 
there was a, a meeting before everyone was scheduled to be on set the, the following week, and um, I, I was sitting in a room with a whole bunch of other actors, and they were all like, "Oh, we're having a great time talking to one another," and you know, and it finally I got around to me and said, "Oh, where are you from?" And I said, oh, "I'm from Brisbane. I'm from here." And they all went, "Okay," and they just told that it was like it was like me saying, "Oh, hi, I've got leprosy and halitosis." Yeah, it's uh, love me, and it's everyone just rejects me. It was like, wow. I mean, because they were all from Sydney. Uh, yeah. They were all Southerners, you know, but it's that rivalry, that ingrained sort of mentality um, that also sort of yeah. unfortunately puts us in our place and also our place of opportunity because yeah. the whole COVID thing, a yes. lot more work has come up here into Queensland yes. as a result right. of the border um, restrictions. restrictions. And because of that, it makes it a lot harder for the... Because in a big-budget production, um, there's no problem with the, um, with, the product, with the company flying someone up from Sydney, yeah. even if it's just for a walk-on for, like, a couple of lines of dialogue. They'll fly them up, they'll accommodate them, you know, get drivers to pick them up, etc. There's been no problem with that in the past. So what's happened is that the Queensland actors have been relegated more to the background extra jobs. You know, but now as a result of that, because of that circumstance, I mean, they can't really say, oh, Queensland actors, bunch of banana vendors, they're no good. You know, um, so we've got the, we now have those opportunities um, presented to us through this alternate circumstance, this other thing that's happened. Whereas I think maybe the status quo would have been kept if this disaster hadn't occurred. Yeah. You know, so, um, but. It's a slow grind. It's a slow process. And, in, and even though that sort of mentality has been around for a while, and I'm sure it is with around the oh, world, yeah, of course. Well, it goes back to the basic, the, the tribalistic instincts, yeah. you know, of a group of people, like, you know, ex- making everyone else sort of the enemy so they make themselves feel better. Yeah. Um, uh, but I think within the natural development and process, especially within the societal construct, um, those types of things, they have their time and then they go. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because some it's... people get tired of hearing that stuff. And, and really, yeah. you know, it's, it's up to you. It's your belief in yourself. It's how you express yourself because there's nobody quite like the individual that you are. It can challenge not unless, us. Not unless you look like somebody that looks like you. Yeah. Then there's a <laughs> the problem. It's kind of like, hey, oh, what? <laughs> it only happened to me once. It's only happened to me once. Right. Yeah, and that was really early on. I saw this guy. I was like, oh, my God, he could be my twin brother. Yeah. Yeah, but I never saw him again after that. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. there's only one you, Munger. <laughs> yeah, there's only one me, but there are a lot of others out there that look like me. Yeah. Or I look like them. Well, Who knows? Like That's them. the conundrum of it, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah. But it's your talent and your knowledge and your passion that takes you forward in Emma's. I've heard, I've heard that word before, talent. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I could, I could talk for ages. Yeah. I know we've got to, like, So how, how, would, how would you, like, when you get people, you get advanced students coming that just want to work with you? Yep. Do you sort of, how do you know who's, okay, they've got it, this is how I need to work with that person? Do you separate groups or do you mix them together? Well, I'd like to know a little bit of the background of the person before I engage with them, just to get a rough idea of, you know, what they possibly have done. Then um, we go through a really quick interview process where I ask them what they have done, you know, um, what type of practical experience, sort of any type of educational background. Um, And that gives me a little bit more information about them. 
And um, then I just, well, well, we'll just run through the scene and I'll see what level that you're at. And then I'll make my final assessment over, and, and it's usually done over three takes. I mean, usually you can get it within the first one. You, you, you know what's going on. Um, but there's always the process of acclimatization to any given circumstance. So when someone comes in for the, to start off with, there's always going to be a slight disorientation involved. So you have to um, let the, 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 the student just relax and um, get familiar with their surroundings. So, and, and, you know, how long is a piece of string when it comes to someone's nerves and um, how, how fast they can relax? But I, I usually give it within the limits of three takes before yeah. we start seeing some type, some type of settled baseline of performance. Yeah. Yeah, and then after that, yeah, I can... I can analyze you. I can I can look at what you do and say, hey, you you know, your line actions, the shape of your dialogue isn't right, or your emotional state, you know, you're not that that's not you're not on the correct vibrational frequency, or you know, yeah. what, what what's your intention? What's your overall objective in this thing? What are you trying to achieve? You know, yeah. that's not clear, or yeah, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. There's a whole bevy of things that we can work on because yeah. usually, I mean, the the real pros when I work with them. If the, for example, if we do a self-test, and I know this is probably similar in the States, probably more so now than ever, especially with the whole COVID thing, um, but uh, the, the, the self-testing, you know, um, when I get, you know, some of my, my friends come in that I've worked with for like years and years and years, um, they, can, they can do their self-test in like, you know, 10 or 15 minutes and it's done. Yeah. But with with a noob in brackets, someone who's not so sort of savvy with it, um, just to take them through a process to get somewhere near, you know, acceptable, usually takes an hour. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you do hourly teaching or two hours if they want more? Well, it depends, yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, some students come from, like, uh, the Sunshine Coast oh, okay. or um, past New South Wales, Byron Bay. Oh, okay. You know, so they yeah. do a lot of travel, and it's like, well, you're not. Don't be here for one hour. You should spend yeah. at least a couple. A couple, yeah. Yeah. So. So it's... will you be recharging that all again in the new year, 2021? Do you think? Will I be what? What will I be doing? Um, like your, you do one on one, but yeah. your group workshops or anything. Uh, like maintenance class. Maintenance class. Yes. Yeah, so uh, next next year, I think, possibly around March. Maybe yeah, because I'm still within the in the final processes of yeah. healing my my spine. Yes. Yeah, I'm just sort of still trying to take it easy and not do sure. too much work because yeah. you know the old legs a bit numb. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so we can find you then if you want to look into that. You can check the IMDb yep. file on Mungo and on Emma, and there's contact numbers there with you. Now you're with. AD management, yeah. And Emma's with BMEG. BMEG. Yeah. And also, um, if you've got your number and contact details on your Facebook page. I think I do. Or yes. So if you want to book in or inquire about it. And look, the other thing too is that um, I, <laughs> I don't do FaceTime or Skype or whatever you want okay. to call it. Yeah. Um, I'm much... Even though there is the possibility that I uh, I will move into that in the in the future, I am much more um, of a face to face person yeah. because I mean there's just it's a different energy, isn't it? A presence. I you just there's more to you get. You, yeah. There's just more to it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. 
and it's worth their while and your while too. So to um, have yeah. that engagement and just that physical connection, so you can feel the other person's energy on there. Well, also or too, it's it's good for to people watch. to get out of their shell um, yes. because, like I was saying before, um, it can be quite overwhelming to be on a set. You know, when you've got hundreds of people standing around waiting for you to deliver your dialogue, you're going to poo your pants um, if you're not up to the challenge. And one of those ways of of working towards being able to cope with situations like that is getting yourself into a different environment, you know, in the real world, in the real physical world, because ultimately that's what you're doing. You're not going to be acting at home. In a, in a film, you're going to have to be going somewhere. You have to interact with people. Get used to that. It's just like whenever you um, whenever you come and see me, you should always be as best prepared as you possibly can be. Um, and the more professional your attitude is, the easier it is for you to be able to um, assimilate into that professional environment without crapping your britches. You know. So the more the serious the and I'm not saying you've got to be so serious about it you know it's just be attentive apply yourself work at a hundred percent at all times practice that marathon runners don't just run a marathon straight away you know they build up to that type of stuff and then they make it look easy yeah yeah it's all about the prep and the practice well i tell you what a good good saying that i go by is it's not about what you do in front of the camera it's about what you do before you get in front of the camera and that's why the pros make it look so easy because they might be banging their heads in their caravan you know over over their next scene that they have to do but they they do it to the point where when they step out they make it look easy you know when you watch these pros do their stuff it's 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 magic most of the time anyway you know it's like wow they really god they made that look so easy yeah you know yeah. but that's because they're half killing themselves in their caravan <laughs> <laughs> oh it's just been a wonderful pleasure to have you and emma today on the show i'm sure so many listeners will absorb every word that you've said with um, all your knowledge all your experience well hopefully i didn't talk too quickly and i made sense you did because if i understood it <laughs> anyway they can rewind and play again so go back. So thanks so much again, Margo. Thank it's you. Been a pleasure. Thank you for having me, us. Us. Us and me. Yes. And Emma, yeah. she's looking after the girls. So thank you, Emma. So we'll leave it there, folks. And um, yeah, I hope you enjoyed that. I know I did. See you later.